0: Hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast. I'm Amy Souter, Retail and Education Editor with the Packer and Produce Market Guide, PMG for short, two trade publications in the fresh produce industry. Thanks so much for joining us today. This week, we tackle the demand for organic produce. We know that organic produce demand surged during the pandemic, but what's going to happen next for organics? besides an expected bounce. Rabobank fruit, vegetable, and nut analyst, Muhanad Melhim, authored the October report called The State of North American Organic Produce, a closer look at post-pandemic trends and emerging issues. The Packers editor, Tom Karst, interviewed Melhim and discussed that in the report, Melhim considered why the growth rate of retail organic food sales will likely decline after the pandemic effect wanes. Even so, Melham's analysis indicates retail organic sales will remain higher than the pre-pandemic rate. During the worst of the public health crisis, lockdowns and restaurant closures, pandemic relief payments and more online shopping contributed to consumers buying more organic produce. Since then, organic fresh produce demand has slowed as restaurants reopened and many people return to the office. But some pandemic habits won't disappear, especially the habits created in home kitchens. Other factors to consider are the increased imports of organic products and the long term trend leaning toward increasing organic purchases. Mellum doesn't just share the statistics, he goes into the whys as well, which we love. Let's hear more directly from Al Muhanad of Rabobank
1: you know you talked about the pandemic in the in the report and the effect of the pandemic on organic which is in itself very interesting isn't it to to see how the demand increased during the pandemic indeed i mean you know it's because it's health uh, uh, crises, mm-hmm. and usually traditionally if you think about the closest example that come to mind as far as health crisis that led to a surge in the, in organic consumption uh-huh.
2: talk about the BSC crisis the, the uh-huh. mad cow uh-huh. uh-huh. um, you know almost a decade ago um, you know these crises because they they have uh, you know they affect the consumers' perception about the safety of their food mm-hmm. so consumers usually go right on mm-hmm. you know trying to mitigate that sense of risk that uh, you know that they perceive from the food they consume. What happened then is that there was a surge in the organic beef production, right? And um, uh, so this, there, is, is, there is this uh, um, expected demand surge uh, in when, when we see health, health crises. Uh, so that is one, one part of the equation. Obviously, there are other factors that affected demand that may not necessarily be related to the pandemic itself, but rather... Uh, related to the actions that we're taking in the aftermath, mm-hmm. basically, you know, the lockdown, working from home, right, right. So that had an impact. Obviously, the income, uh, which we could talk about them in details. You know, the disposable income piece. Uh, you know, that led to sort of improvement in the organic purchase, just because mm-hmm. they are prime products. And you know, there's the online shopping that had opened up some. Uh, um, you know, like. Uh, uh, unknown territory uh, uh, for for
1: consumers as far as what kind of food they eat so I mean all together came to get that you know none mm-hmm. yeah that you know that's really interesting the the growth that we saw last year Now I guess part of it a lot of that was from people you know making food making meals at home and and doing that um, and buying organic produce uh, to do that with uh, as you mentioned uh, this year. It's slowing down, isn't it? I mean, it's it's slowing down to, but still above conventional. So it's uh, it's is it anything so far with that we've seen this year surprise you, or is this kind of about what you expected? Do you think? Yeah, uh, I
2: mean, from a from a demand perspective, clearly, uh, you know, if if you check every. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at every data point that is coming, as you know, the most recent ones, they're showing this slowing trend in demand, which mm-hmm. we all had sort of expectation mm-hmm. uh, to happen just because the driving forces behind the demand have lessened. You know, uh, you know, now we could go out, we could eat, so no more pressure on retail. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, people are now doing this hybrid model working uh, from home or office or, you know, they're. That these forces that basically push the demand up are lessening. Therefore, the the the, the actual consumption and the data as uh, supportive to that showing that uh, sort of decline. However, you know we do expect that things are going to linger for quite some time. You know, uh-huh. consumer preferences preferences as far as what to cook, uh, how to cook at home. Uh, how many times we're going to cook, and uh, what kind of things we're going to use to cook at home. Mm-hmm. These preferences are called sticky. They don't really, you know, disappear. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. Because, um, you know, the, the cause has disappeared. I mean, there's our sticky preferences. We we see that pe- people have learned a lot of things. There newfound passions that, they've, that, that, that the pandemic and the aftermath has led them to, you know. So we expect the demand to, to, to linger now the, the supply chain has adapted, pivoted quite a bit you know, after some time. Last year it was really a really mm-hmm. picture, mm-hmm. especially at the beginning. So that we saw a lot of bottlenecks, logistical uh, issues that caused the supply of food in general and organic in particular to basically suffer quite a bit. You know, uh, we, this year uh, things have you know the supply chain learns uh, and the, the players learn quickly how to pivot, and we see that happening more supply to to satisfy demand. The interesting part that I found this year to be quite uh, um, nobody talks about yet but the data as far as
1: I see uh, is the import it's the increasing role of imports yeah. organic, organic fresh produce uh, coming from uh,
2: countries that we never had any uh, uh, you know re- you know organic imports coming from uh mostly from Latin America. Um so some new countries coming online and then there's the amount that we're importing is increased and the share or the role of the imports in total our in total fresh uh, or organic fresh produce is quite interesting. Like almost half of what we have imported so far this year in twenty twenty one is coming from um uh you know,
1: imports, imports yeah. high, right? So yeah. half of half of what the market is is probably imports then for, that yeah, would be for product. vegetables mostly, right? Or is that... Uh, for, uh, actually, all fresh produce. All produce, so yeah. Uh, all you know, fruits, I would say vegetables,
2: even herbs mm-hmm. uh, included. Um, so far here to the date, if, we're, if we believe the data that we received from the USDA, uh, imports uh, uh-huh. so far has half of the shipment, almost thereabout, um, come come from uh, you know from uh, non-domestic sources. You know, mostly Mexico. Uh-huh. But there are some some countries in Latin America, like Argentina, Chile, uh,
1: you know, um, Brazil, even mm-hmm. and some minor countries uh, showing up. Uh, especially in certain commodities, you know, you know yeah. tropical roots, tropical commodities. We see a lot of that happening, coming in. And, we see some, uh, hydro, or greenhouse hydroponic type items coming in as well, correct? Some of that, or with the- you know, there is no way of knowing the, mm. the, the, environment yeah. in which the product was produced, but I would argue that, let's say, we
2: know, for example, tomatoes, uh, you know, grape tomatoes, certain type of, you know, those uh, varieties of tomatoes, cherry tomatoes, grape tomatoes, mm-hmm. uh, plum tomatoes, s- a percentage of them, especially coming from
1: Canada, plus bell pepper, I would say, bell pepper, that's another yeah. thing. Uh-huh. Most of those, uh, I, would, I, I can't say with confidence the share, sure. uh-huh. but my share of them coming from hydroponic, you know, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Canadian, the Mexican. Yeah, interesting. Um. The the import trends, I guess, probably will continue. Does that is that something you can say with any great certainty, or, or do you feel pretty confident about that, or what, what's that? Yeah.
2: So I think this is a very very good question, mm-hmm. and I've been thinking about it quite a bit. And there are two oh, um, two points to that question. The first is all right. How, there is clearly now an infrastructure already existing as far as imports. What I mean by that, you know, these imports didn't come from vacuum. I mean, they came from operation that certified organic that Uh had gone through the process. Mm -hmm. Um, They got the green uh, uh, light from the USDA. You could, uh, you know, send your product. So this infrastructure is now... um, available, it's mm-hmm. online, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's coming it's bringing in, in supplies. So this infrastructure is gonna go to exist. Now is it going to be used in full capacity? That's the question, right? Mm-hmm. So we do, we know now that if if consumers continue to have that strong of a demand in the next year or two, mm-hmm. we know that there is now the the capacity from these countries to supply mm-hmm. organic products mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that comes down to the question is okay where we see the demand and again the demand is going to really slow a bit right and it's going to be sort of a symmetric decline and what I mean by that depending on the product some products are going to see some quite a of a drop more than others just because they surge also mm-hmm. in a asymmetric way you know like vegetables that have been commonplace now in, the, in the pantry for cooking and all that they saw their percentages grow quickly mm-hmm. we're gonna see their percentages to go down slightly just because we expect that the cooking and all uh, that sort of related activities at home will decline so I do expect that the the import are going to be stronger
1: um, strong sorry mm-hmm. for the next year or two now is it going are they going to grow faster that is a really tough question to answer at this point yeah the um you know when when you think about organic headwinds, would it be the cost for the growers uh, the, the premium offered or is it is there consumer headwinds or do you think it's um you know how, how do you parse that up i guess in terms you of mean
2: as far as expanding the expansion of organic uh, uh, the organic
1: yeah oh the organic slice of the pie i guess is it Right. Um, you know, from a, from a demand side, clearly the organic uh, product has gained momentum among consu- uh, consumers here in the U.S. I mean, the trend for healthful, uh, safer uh,
2: product, despite the fact that, you know, there's no evidence to suggest that organic food is, is any less, any more healthful than the conventional one or any more safer, but the consumer's perception, at least, believe so. And that is clear in, in this momentum. So the push for organic demand, uh, for organic uh, you know, uh, needs is there. So mm-hmm. the driver there, the fuel is there. The question is are we going to see on the supply side, farmers mm-hmm. or any um, uh, growers uh, under whichever environment mm-hmm. they deem important uh, mm-hmm. for or organic. Are they going to, to 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 jump in? And the question is, or the answer to that is really depending on if there are you know favorable policies. There you know are there enough premiums to pay for for that switch? Because clearly it's a very costly uh, endeavor to to follow organic. Mm-hmm. The trend there is quite um, slow, I would say. I mean, we are still. One percent of our acreage is organic, hasn't grown. Um, you know, beyond that. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, the may, maybe the imports is is basically the missing link here, where, right. where we see increasing import is trying to fill the the sluggishness or the lethargic. Uh, domestic response for that demand, you know, in terms of, okay, increasing accuracy production. So, um, the headwinds, I think,
1: is more on the supply side. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, you you have so much good stuff in this report. Uh, um, it's really good. And what what about the premiums? I mean, it's kind of dependent on the commodity, I guess, and some so it's not, not easy to... Just generalize too much, I guess. But we'll... right,
2: uh, yeah. If there is one thing to generalize, is that you cannot generalize. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you know, each fresh produced product has its own unique and uh, specific characteristics, and its own supply chain, and in, in, you know, uh, affects its premium. Uh, so, for example, if you look in general, if you want to generalize, I would say I would put fruits and Vegetables in two distinctive group, and I would say premiums for fruits have gotten quite pressured over the, the, over the years, mm-hmm. more so than the vegetable premiums, and that's because there has been quite a, quite an expansion in the in the organic mm-hmm. uh, production of fruits, which led them to become slightly more mainstream ma- mainstream than vegetables, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. basically by becoming more mainstream. They, the consumers who become more familiar with them and demand them now more regularly because they see them now in Costco and all these big stores, they become more price sensitive. And by, by being price sensitive, that means if you, if you put more volume, if you push more volume through the door, the price is going to go down, reducing the premium. So fruits are having, having more, more pressure as far as premium vegetables on the other side. Some of them have seen quite break this uh, because of uh, COVID and you know uh, demands for, for for their versatility for cooking. So some of the vegetables saw their um, their premiums improve. Some of some others found
0: the opposite, depending
2: on where they mm. lie on the versatility, cooking, conduciveness type of you know
1: spectrum. And you have nice uh, w- uh, the red, yellow, and green. You know the, the caution, neutral, and positive kind of a nice way to. S-
2: yeah, Could have yeah. Been
1: different uh, brackets, I guess. Yeah. yeah, so that's really
2: give the entire the result of what we found for the for those who are going to be interested in expanding the supply side, whether they are growers or growers, you know, um, we're giving them okay. So here are the crops that we think that if you do expand, you're gonna you're gonna see some sort of uh um you know pressure on the premiums because we have reached the point where mm-hmm. it's a little bit more mainstream and then the the opposite side the green one is that okay the, we we truly believe that these products are are still going to experience growth and uh without any sort of negative impact on their premiums in the short run mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
1: yeah and um yeah the the I guess your one of your points there at the conclusion is that the positive outlook continues for organic uh, mm-hmm. and then the organic and the indoor farming will be something to watch um, so that yeah, yeah that's yeah. interesting with the because I guess one thing about indoor farming, you can control the production capacity pretty pretty easily i don't I don't even know if there's a three year transition. They're probably. I don't know if the, how that applies to. For the
2: indoor, yeah. this is a very good question actually, and I've asked. Um, I had, the,
1: I had the, the, the opportunity to ask indoor growers about the, uh-huh. uh, you know, the requirement for them to basically convert to organic, and it's not. It's not really at all like the, uh, um, the soil-based or the open field mm-hmm, organic farming, mm-hmm, yeah, because more you know, uh, when they are
2: actually already doing controlled production, they, they have so many checks on, on a lot of things that, um, put them even at, you know, sort of like, uh, close to, you know, sort of organic production. To mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, so they don't have to do that three years transition. Um, they, they do have low, uh, you know, a chemical, um, fingerprint um, so yeah it's not it's not as costly and uh, as uh, time consuming or demanding the way uh, the open um, open field soil based production uh, is yeah less, soil free hydroponics you could just, you know hydroponics is basically the uh, the main term right now
1: right yeah it's it's if you were a soil soil based farmer you would think hey, that's cheating or something I guess because it's too easy to get into, perhaps the, the barrier to get into it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're touching a very good point. Um, you know, if I were if I were to
2: be an open field farmer and I have to basically look at opportunity cost to convert to organic, and I need to, you know, three years I have to forego my revenue, maybe from you know, conventional otherwise conventional production, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and to put. I have to change a lot of things, and have to adapt so many uh, practices, costly practices. I have to, let, you know, let go of a high yield, you know, depending on the product. But most organic yields are lower than conventional ones, so the revenue will going to go down. You know, I'm going to assume I'm going to be paid high premium to cover up all that cost. So there's a risk there. So there's a lot of, you know, the procurement cost is really high. Well, you look at those who are
1: soil-free, um, all what they need to do is probably, like, tweak their production, you know, remove some of the, you know, questionable
2: uh, fertilizers right. that they use, mm-hmm. or you know, and uh, do some paperwork, and they're they're good to go. You know, I mean, that's, you know, I'm, I'm simplifying things, obviously, but it's not the same process,
1: mm-hmm. not the same lengthiness, you know, or, or complexity by any means. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I wonder how the, uh, and I know it's not the same in every country. Like in Europe, maybe things are a little different. It seems like in, in Europe they do, they do have different rules relative to hydroponics. I don't know for sure about that, but uh, yeah,
2: they they do. I mean, there's uh, there's difference between um, um, Europe and the U.S. I I've you know, scratch the surface, but not uh, like fully well versed in the European mm-hmm. um, situation. But there, I know for sure there's quite a difference between the US and, uh, mm-hmm. and the Europe in terms of uh, what cert- what is certified organic and the, you know,
1: you know the, the detailed. Well, very good. Well, this will really help.
0: Hey, everyone. That wraps it up for us today. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please take a moment to hit that subscribe button, rate us and type out a quick review on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And if you didn't hear already, we call our podcast tip of the iceberg because even though the discussions often can be deep dives into retail and produce industry issues, it really is just a snippet of all the great comprehensive content we provide you on producemarketguide.com, thepacker.com, and our print publications and all the platforms we use to share your stories from social media to videos, text messages, and email newsletters and more. Also, enjoy our earlier podcast episodes of Tip of the Iceberg. In our last two, we talk with Paul Lightfoot of Bright Farms and the CEA Food Safety Coalition. CEA's Controlled Environment Agriculture, and we talked to him about his negative foods mission of going beyond carbon neutral in sustainability. And in the episode before that, we hear from Lucette Garcia of Sweet Girl Farms on how her family operation evolved and how they handle challenges such as water shortages. And we'll have more of those great conversations from the industry each week. Thank you so much for your support. Have a wonderful rest of your day.